what was fascinating, I, you know, I don't know the, the duration of time from me in a coma to the other side, but there was never a moment of darkness. Hello, my name is Eric Taylor. I am a professional intuitive astrologer and relationship coach. And my near death experience story begins back in 2013. I'm a native New Yorker. My family and I moved out to Arizona in 2011. And unfortunately, I, in 2013 in the spring, got, I don't know what it was. It was like a gust of wind came into my nose and mouth. It was such a violation. And I found out it's a fungus that's in the Western Hemisphere of the United States called Valley Fever. And I dealt with it for years and kind of got a handle of it, really suffered. It was like an internal Vietnam, but it did weaken my immune system. Then, obviously, we had the pandemic and COVID hit. My family got hit with it initially before they said it was quote unquote here. And I was sick for about, I don't know, a couple, maybe two weeks, but it wasn't so terrible. But in 2021 in August, we got hit again with the Delta and I got COVID. And I had been taking care of my mother for over 20 years and she was a survivor of breast and brain cancer and in a wheelchair and had pretty severe dementia. And so unfortunately it, you know, started to hit everyone. I have four sons, three at home. My wife was really got it first and then it spread around. Well, August 27th, my mother was taken to the hospital and they came and took her away. And each day I was getting sicker and sicker. And then on August 29th, after checking the meter for the oxygen, when it gets to 88, they want you to go to the hospital. And yes, believe it or not, I don't know if it was just the fog of COVID or just being really out of it, but my oxygen was in the 50s. So on August 29th, we called uh, EMS and they came and they first came to the house and, you know, they wouldn't even come in. They're like, oh, we don't go in the COVID house, come outside. But they were marveled. Mr. Taylor, how are you standing, talking, walking? I was like, I don't know, I just am. I think at that point, my oxygen was at 56 or 58. And I was getting into the ambulance. My three boys were really upset and crying. They were 12 and eight at the time. I have eight-year-old twins. And I just remember as I they were putting me in the ambulance and getting ready to close the doors and my boys are crying. And I was, I said, don't cry. Daddy's going to be okay. I love you. And this is so weird, but I said, I'll see you in October. And then they drove off. So when I get to the hospital, I'm in the emergency room and they're hooking me up to this and that. And, you know, unfortunately, there's been just so much intensity and emotion and controversy uh, around COVID. But the ER doctor, honestly, just was really unprofessional and just really verbally assaulted me, you know, about the COVID and the vaccine and this and that. But I did tell them that I had valley fever, which is really important information because you, you, when you have valley fever, you're not supposed to have steroids. And so I told them when I got it, how I was dealing with it, yada, yada. 
needless to say, their protocols, they were giving me steroids. I, you know, got taken to a room. And as soon as I got there, I found out that I was only down the hall from my mother. So they took me over in a wheelchair and wheeled me to see my mom. So I went to go see her and, you know, she was kind of nonverbal. She would whisper a little bit and, you know, I knew how to speak her language. And um, so I started to immediately advocate for her. I kissed her hand, told her I loved her. I told her we'd be okay. And uh, each day I started to get sicker and sicker. My wife was actually able to come into the hospital to see my mother. And then she got in real trouble because she snuck down the hall to see me. And I mean, it was like you would have thought like she had a machine gun. She I think she just maybe brought me some food and wanted to check on me because I am visually impaired and, you know, just want to make sure I was OK in the hospital. And she the doctors, the security guards, they like escorted her, you know, gave her an escort out and threatened her and all this stuff. It was just crazy. I remember they put a, a mask on me to, I guess the way they explained it, it was to help me breathe better or to do something with my lungs. And they said, Mr. Taylor, this will help you survive and get out of here alive and yada, yada. But it was so cumbersome and it just like went over your whole head and neck. So I did it one night and it was okay. And <clears throat> the second, I think the second time I tried it, I just couldn't take it. I, I could only do it for like five to 10 minutes. Because it made you feel, I don't even know what the word is, but like, like in like underwater or like in some sort of mental cage. I remember September 6 came along and I had my phone and I was doing on the 5th and the 6th. I'm a big sports fan. I did my fantasy football drafts with my good buddy in New York over the phone. And I was really tired. And they asked me if I wanted to do the mask thing again. And I didn't, but... They told me that I should, and I said, okay, I'll do it. I remember calling my wife that evening, maybe eight, nine o'clock at night, and told her, you know, I'm real tired. I'm gonna put on this mask again and, you know, go to sleep and I'll talk to you in the morning. And that was the last thing that I guess I remember on this side. My wife got a phone call around uh, 11 p.m. at night on September 6th, just a few days before my birthday. I was uh, 50 years old. I got denied the monoclonal antibodies, which made no sense because I know that I had a neighbor who was like 87 and they got it. And, you know, I'm a husband with four sons and, you know, I don't know why I didn't get it, but I was denied it. And... Um, you know, the doctors were talking about different things. Well, you could maybe do this or do that, but, you know, it just wasn't stuff that was practical or that I could get. And um, she got a call at 11 p.m. in a panic. <sighs> Death is imminent. Your, your, organs, hus your husband's organs are failing. Death is imminent. We'll call you back in about an hour. Click. And that was the phone call she got. And I guess, I don't know if I coded, they didn't tell her. And um, they called her back in an hour and said that I was hooked up to a ventilator. And that was September 6th. She wasn't allowed to come to ICU to see me physically until September 21st. On um, 
my birthday. They, um, my wife and friends had recorded all these messages for me and they, uh, were able to play it for me over the phone and FaceTime. And I guess for me, what was fascinating, I, you know, I don't know the, the duration of time from me in a coma to the other side, but there was never a moment of darkness. I just was kind of remembering that I was in a hospital. But what was wild is when they were playing the birthday messages for me, it must have been the same time that in a coma, I guess the one positive experience when I was in a coma, I had the biggest birthday party that you could ever imagine that I've never had in real life. But I guess it was something that I always desired. It was a black tie affair. And it was this big ballroom that I walked into and I literally saw cousins, family members, friends from all walks of life, elementary school, middle school, high school, the two colleges I attended, uh, adult friendships. It was it was just like the ball and the bash of all birthdays. And that would have been my 51st birthday. I do remember just kind of all the scenes that I were ex is experiencing were in the hospital. It was so, it, everything was so bizarre and weird, but I wasn't understanding what was going on because everything seemed so real. And then I remember being in a wheelchair and being in my house, but my house didn't look the same. It was like a duplex and I live in Arizona and it's just one floor, but, and there were different people there and other children. And I think one of my wife's good girlfriends and my niece and some other people, and I think her boyfriend and some other man. And in the basement, there was like, they were, there was all this weird stuff going on and a lot of demonic stuff and stuff in sexual nature that just is not a part of our lives that was really insane. And I just remember my kids were not, they weren't behaving, they weren't listening to me, but I remember being going on a trip to the hospital. And this was the one time that I remember in a coma seeing my mother and we had to, in the hospital, everything was high tech. And we, I had to like, kind of lift up out of the wheelchair, but I couldn't. And my mom ironically could to go into like this, almost like a, a cylinder to be tested. And they were like testing my, I think it was my teeth to see something about my sickness or something about my health. And I couldn't get in there. And like, people were like laughing at me for some reason. And I just remember I, had no control over my bodily fluids and, you know, would go to the bathroom on myself, all these, these things. It was <laughs> humbling, embarrassing. It was just terrible. But that was the only time in a coma that I saw my mother. And I can remember being trapped in a dungeon in Phoenix. And it was like in this restaurant and this Latina woman had stolen my, I think, identity, but my wallet and was trying to use my credit card. And I was sort of trapped and there were these fiery torches and it was really dark. And I, I just kept going from there 
to being in California, going through these different spiritual tests, and then going on a spaceship because we were going to go to Mars, and then going on a trip to London where I was going to do some experiment for my uh, eye disease. I have retinitis pigmentosa that uh, affects the rods and cones in your, in your retina and your eyes and can take away your vision. Thankfully, I still can see today. But I remember I died in a coma, but I came back to life. And it was really strange because for me, I realized that there was nothing to fear. And I remember being in the hospital bed and I was not too pleased with how the doctors and nurses were treating me. And I remember going to like reach for something on the side, but then it took me outside of the hospital bed and in a parking lot where I was in like this parking lot down the block from my house near a grocery store. And then the people from the hospital came and found me and brought me back to the hospital. I mean, these are the type of strange like portal shifting experiences. The second time I died in a coma, I was shot outside of my home in my garage and I could feel the bullets go through my chest, the warmth of it. But then when I came back to life, I had the opportunity to see my now 14, but then 12 year old son in the future in his bedroom, five years in the future. And I didn't want to do that for some reason. So I went to the sofa in my living room and I saw this gentleman who I guess was my wife's boyfriend, but I guess in some way was some spirit. But I saw my wife and her business associate and friend, and they were talking business. But what was bizarre, they were in 90s VHS <laughs> technology. I used to love my VHS cassette tape, you know, tapes, like, you know, and that type of technology. But my one of my sons, who's a twin, and he's very spiritual, he was in 4K technology. And he came over to me on the sofa. He saw me, my wife and her friend and our, our friend, business partner. She didn't see me. I could see her, hear them talking about business. I'm trying to get their attention, nothing. But my son came over to me on the sofa and gave me a hug. Didn't really say anything. And then just kind of walked off. And I'll get back to that later because that's really kind of wild. But I do remember going through all these different excursions and these what I would call spiritual tests. And when I was back in that dungeon in Phoenix, there was like I, I wasn't tied up, but there was like a light under this almost like a chair, but it was more like a like a ledge. And I was sitting there. And I know that I was like stuck or trapped. And I just, honestly, I, <laughs> all I could do was just say, God, 
Jesus, Mom, Alana, Elijah, William, Jackson, Mateo, my, my four sons' names, and I just kept saying it, Mom, I God, Jesus, Mom, Alana, and my boys' names. And then I just like, it just left or was out of that situation. I felt this energy of evil where like I was being spiritually bullied. I remember there was this big, tall security guard in the hospital who was kind of verbally threatening me and saying stuff to me. I remember trying to connect to my cousin in New York and, and my best friend who was helping me with the fantasy football draft. And I was like calling them and, and you know, not on the phone, but in my mind and verbally. And they and a few of my family members flew out to Arizona from New York because I wanted, I didn't trust because I, what I was experiencing, I guess, when I was awakened in Arizona, but in a coma, I wasn't happy with the hospital, the doctors or nurses, I wasn't trusting them. I felt like I couldn't trust my wife. So I was trying to reach them to come help me. But there was two different visions of it. One time they came and they were gonna take me back to New York. But then my wife had said, well, what about the kids and all this? And then I felt guilty. So I said, sorry guys, I'm not gonna go with you. And that was my family. But then with my good friend and my cousin, I actually got on the plane and I was in the, like hooked up to all the wires, the, the ventilator, and I flew to JFK, but they never took me off the plane. And it's like, I came back and then, in the hospital, they were laughing at me like, oh, you thought you were going to get away. I mean, this experience was just so bizarre and strange and dramatic and traumatic. I remember the third time I died and I came back to life. My good buddy and his father-in-law, they were shot and technology was out of this world. So the apps on the computers were floating outside of the screen. And I guess this came into my visions in a coma because oddly enough, between August 29th and September 6th, I was totally delusional and had my wife bring my computer to the hospital. I thought I could actually do some work. <laughs> I was so weak and hooked up to everything. I couldn't do a lick of work. I remember being at the house again and these excursions, when I tell you like they were so surreal and you know, all these type of experiences kept going on. But one of the big ones that really happened in the hospital room, there was about 25 to 40 people, doctors, nurses, and they actually took my oxygen away from me so I couldn't breathe. And I'm like gasping for air. And I was just like, please give, you know, give me back my oxygen so I could breathe. And I told them they were trying to kill me. And I told them, I said, and I was like calling them by name and like pointing at each one of them. And I told them, I said, you have no idea who I am. I am a spiritual giant. And if you kill me, you will regret it. My family will come for you and I will haunt you in the afterlife. You will never have a moment of peace if you allow me to die. And I'm pointing at each one of them and I'm calling, you know, and then I guess when I think about it now, it was 
not just the dark night of the soul. I know that I was battling Satan and going through spiritual warfare, but I, I guess I was passing all the tests. Even when my wife told me she was going to leave me and move to like Atlanta with two my with my older son or my middle son and that I would have the twins and she would come back and help me rehab and this and that. I said, I'll be here when you come back. I love you. And so, you know, my faith in God and Jesus, my faith in my wife and my family even with all the torture and what I was going through, I never gave up on it. And the irony of it on the other side, she's like there every day, twice a day in the hospital. October 10th, I got transferred down to the hospital from Scottsdale to Phoenix. And that's where they eventually took me off the ventilator, put me on the trach. And my wife there got me off of the feeding tube. They put me on this crappy feeding tube and my blood sugar was, you know, I've always been in great health, but you know, obviously with the Valley fever, my immune system was weakened, but the tube feed they were giving me, it was making my blood sugar and my blood pressure raise. And I go, you know, some of this is common when you're in a coma, but my wife, because we were giving my mother who was on a tube feed, Kate farms, which is like all organic and vegan. She was bringing it to the hospital and they still were like, you know, they she was providing it and they were refusing. The nurse actually got written up in the hospital, was, got in trouble for hooking me up and putting me on the tube, even though my wife provided the fee, the food. But um, I was tra transferred there October 10th. I know on October 13th, I woke up for the first time at night. My wife wasn't there. And I just remember there was sweat dripping down and I was so weak and I was trying to lift up my hand to wipe my brow and I couldn't do it, but it was like the night nurse or the, I don't know who was there wouldn't turn on the light. And they just thought I was going to take off my vent and I get it. They were trying to be safe, but it was torture to me because they put me on in restraints and I just couldn't take it. And I think it happened again on the 15th. And then finally I awakened day 40, 40 days in a coma, because I was so angry, uh, <laughs> I guess on day 37 on, on October 13th, I just was like, oh, I'm just going back to sleep. But I awakened in the morning and the nurse was there and she was just so sweet and I couldn't talk or anything, but she could just see, I guess I was tearing and she was like, oh my God, who did this to you? And let me take this off of you. And, you know, and I guess at this point I was really awakened, awakened. And they, you know, took the, the restraints off of me. And, you know, I started to be able to move a little bit. And so I don't remember when they took the vent off, but I just remember awakening and being able to heal so quickly. It was like, a, as the nurses and doctors were saying, because I had no gauge for this. They were like, this is like a miracle, Mr. Taylor, you're just healing so fast. And for me, I'm a very verbal person. So the best thing was when they gave me the voice box and I could speak. But one last thing that I want to share that I remember was I was doing like these spiritual tests and this woman wanted me to like cut off my locks and dye them different colors. And they wanted me to 
represent them at this big, huge parade. And I told them no, because it, it wasn't who I was and it wasn't part of my belief system, what they wanted me to represent. And that was one of the last big tests, that and the whole breathing thing and calling out the doctors and nurses that I remember, you know, being in a coma. My wife had told me that one time, you know, I'm an MC and I rhyme and they had um, were playing music for me over the phone. And I was like, they were playing like a tripod quest and, you know, Karis one different hip hop music. And they said, I was like dancing and that, you know, my blood pressure started to raise and my wife and my boys were excited, but they got scared because they came on and like, oh, stop, stop, stop. And they're like, is he okay? And they're like, no, no, he's fine, but his pressure's getting too high, Mrs. Taylor. But this is a good sign. It's letting us know he's there. And I bring this up to say that they started to strip some of the medicine away from me. And they told my wife he should start to move and awaken. Because they were, you know, imagine 40 days. There were times where my wife said I was just like, totally just like limp dead and so they did a cat scan of my brain and everything seemed to be okay five six days had passed this is probably early october and they took away more medicine and they said oh he should awaken in a day or two nothing happened and they got really scared my wife was scared and then they ordered an mri of my brain and everything was fine I guess that um, I told her, I said, I was doing work. I was busy fighting. <laughs> I was battling Satan. You know, I, I had work to do. But um, I just, you know, I, I, what I went through was, I, I don't even understand. But I know that I went to different dimensions. And I remember being down in Kentucky and there was some man named Clay who was trying to steal my home and said that I was related to Muhammad Ali Cassius Clay and that he had a right to take my home because I was related to Cassius Clay and he was the Clay family from Kentucky. I mean, crazy stuff. I'm not related to Muhammad Ali or Cassius Clay. I mean, but these were the vignettes. These were the experiences that just kept going and going and going. But I did realize there's nothing to fear. And my faith was definitely strong. And I know now, after I have awakened and healed, my spiritual gifts and, and abilities have been heightened, my intuition, you know, even working with clients, doing astrology. I know things that are above and beyond my astrology knowledge more intuition and, and spiritual gifts. I don't like to use the word psychic because I don't, you know, that's a big term and I'm not claiming anything like that. But I know my senses have increased, my sense of smell and hearing. And oddly enough, talking about my vision, I went to the eye doctor after I, you know, because I was in the hospital for 85 days in the last two weeks, I left the Phoenix and went back to Scottsdale because I went to a rehab facility where I had two PTs and two OTs a day. I'd eat breakfast in the morning, go work out, come back, have lunch, go back, work out, come back for dinner. And then I was like exhausted. But I told them, I said, listen, I have to get back to my family. I have to get back to working and making money. So I said, do me a favor. I'm going to work as hard as I can. I'm a New Yorker. I'm tough. I said, but just don't let me hurt myself. But I'm gonna, whatever you ask of me, I will do a little bit more because I, I, I felt obligated to, to build myself back up. And I made it home 
Sunday, November 20 of 2021, right before Thanksgiving. Thank God with no oxygen. And I was only on my walker for about three weeks. I went to outpatient therapy. And after a week of that, got off the walker. And then the rest of my healing journey continued and begun. So that's my near-death experience story. Astro traveling, spiritual warfare, battling Satan, spiritual tests. But um, I never gave up the faith. And I had to realize that my wife was um, there for me the whole time. She did scare me, though, because maybe a week after I was awakened, she wanted me to get strong enough. She came into the hospital room when I was down in Phoenix and she brought in the chaplain. And she said, baby, we, you know, I want to talk to you. I have to tell you something. And the chaplain was there and started talking to me. And I started getting so scared and nervous because I thought she wanted a divorce. <laughs> and she went on to tell me <clears throat> that on um, September 21st, 2021, while I was sleeping in a coma, my mother, Cheryl Taylor, uh, died. Um, you know, she survived COVID, but she died of pneumonia and that's a whole nother story in itself, but uh, died in the hospital on September 21st at 80 years old. And um, that was hard. And, uh, you know, after taking care of my mother for over 20 years, I'm sure that, um, you know, in some way we had to be separated for her to go and for, you know, me to maybe not be there. And um, so that's what happened. And one of the nurses said when he first came into my room in the hospital in Phoenix, that he felt this giant spirit over me with so much love. And my wife had told him that my mother had just passed away, you know, two weeks ago or whatever. And he said, wow, I can feel her presence. So that was the journey and I miss her every day and both my parents are in heaven and it was uh, day 72 at the rehab facility. My first, I got there at night and that next afternoon was the first time I was able to see three of my four sons. My oldest son was in Texas and, um, but I got to be outside and feel the sun on my body and the gratitude for fresh air and the sun and hugging my children. And my, at the time, my 14 year old, my 12 year old, when I hugged him, I could literally feel the fear escape his body and the way that he fell into my arms and bawled and cried. It was, it was just amazing and wild. And I was just so glad to hold him. And, you know, I'd spoken to them over FaceTime and the phone, but it was the first time I got to physically see and touch my boys but i told them i would be i would see them in october so i physically saw them in november but i woke up october 16th and got to speak to them over the phone and see them and and um yeah you know i'm i'm just so glad to be alive 
and to be of service to the collective and to share my story with you guys.